try and like keep updated with that. Mm-hmm. And the former coworker that you and I both have, whose Sling TV uh. I was using for the past god five years yeah uh decided to finally cancel his account um, and move and move over to fubo tv not a sponsor by the (laughs) way but hey fubo tv if you're listening give us a give us a call but i i didn't think there was a a proper way now that i am not Uh. working with him to say hey so is your login the same Uh, (laughs) you could at least try right Eh. Whatever. Um, I 100% would but, try. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing. If I didn't have another hookup, I would. But uh, my brother is a subscriber of YouTube TV. So we've been using that now because he was able to add us to his family on on YouTube TV. And it nice. literally like creates your own account with your Gmail and your own like DVR, which is yeah, kind of cool, but you know how like on a traditional DVR or something you record single events or like you set something to record like a, a whole season or every new episode of a series or something. Sure. YouTube TV has this weird quirk where you just add a show to your library and then it just saves the show once it records um, no matter if it's new, old, a replay, um, like, oh, hey, this movie aired on TNT five times. You want to watch them all? So that it'll record duplicates. Um, it's not that it'll even record them because it's all cloud-based DVR. Yeah. So it's just like, I, I can't even really call it a DVR. It's mostly like, hey, this aired on TNT this past Tuesday at 8 p.m. Would you like to watch it on demand? I'm like, okay. So like I, I added... I added some wrestling brands to yeah. my library. I added NASCAR to my library. I added uh, Tennessee Titans, Pittsburgh Steelers, and Texas A&M football all to my library. And whether or not like I'm able to watch the game live due to like my location, mm-hmm. um, I'm able to watch either highlights or the full game once it's finished recording, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I've been, you know... Every time I do the math, I'm like, all right, that's it. I'm finally getting rid of cable. And it's like, all right, here's my cable bill, and here's what I here's what internet would be, and here's what the streaming service would be for everything I want to watch, and it's the exact same as my cable bill. So I guess I'll just save myself some time. I, I don't I don't know how it is, because uh, I just ran the cost. Like, YouTube TV and Hulu with live TV have the most channels, and they're both the same cost. Yeah. Hulu definitely has the more benefit there, because it comes with like regular Hulu as well. Yeah, yeah. And you can bundle that with Disney Plus and ESPN for 73 bucks a month, plus whatever your internet costs. Yeah, and so you got to imagine internet is probably, I don't know, 60 to $80, depending on how much you, you know, how much you need for speed. And so you're already up Mm -hmm. at like $140, you know, plus all the taxes and fees and stuff. Like, yeah, every time I do the math, it's like, not worth the hassle of me cutting the cord yet. Really? I'm like to save okay. ten bucks a month, you know, I'm like okay. uh, I yeah. I think I think you would find that it's gonna be a lot more than ten dollars once you like actually do it. And then you're looking at your like bank account app or something like, hey, where'd this extra fifty bucks come from this month? Oh, oh wait. That's that's kinda cool. Yeah. Um possibly But I I think I think you would find that it's gonna be more than ten bucks. But But it never is I, when I when I add it all up. 
uh, it's maybe like 20 then, but that also to okay. me is negligible to like, you know, lose everything <laughs> that I have, you know, whatever. I'm like, eh, it, it for, for 20 bucks, I'd rather just not go through the hassle of signing up for a new <laughs> thing, get somebody to show up. You know what I mean? I guess. Yeah. Wh- who would show up? Uh, well, I'd have to switch from Xfinity internet to Verizon or something, you know, if I, if I really wanted to, to make it worth oh. a while. Yeah. I mean, you could probably keep your, your Verizon internet. I don't or, have Verizon or internet. Is, or, or, I mean, you could probably keep your Xfinity internet, I would yeah. think, right? And just, like, cancel your cable. Yeah, yeah. But that's still, like, you know, uh, whatever it is, 60 to $80 a month. Plus, like, I rent a modem, which I know is, is pretty much a waste of oh. money. But, um, oh, Tim. Yeah. Oh, Tim. <laughs> but have you ever done modem research, too? I'm like, screw this. Tim, I don't. Well, yeah. I mean, the technology outdates itself every few years. But I bought an $80 modem four years ago yeah and and like i i know i'll have to replace it eventually but i paid eighty dollars four years ago instead of paying ten dollars a month every month for four years yeah no that's uh yeah that's that's a good idea and i've I've certainly done the research on that too but ted this i think speaks to the the crux of our age difference as you know as slight (laughs) as it may seem sometimes like no i get it yeah 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 when (laughs) like it really is like uh I've already done so much, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't feel like doing anything else. Uh, that just seems, I've, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've already done so much. I will, I, I, I'm fine with paying a little bit extra to not have to do something. No, yeah. I, I, I get you. I get you with that. I was <laughs> in the grocery store the other day and I willingly paid more money for less garlic bread because, <laughs> Uh, I I chose the frozen option over the fresh option because I knew like there's no way just Grace and I are eating a whole <laughs> loaf of garlic bread. Yeah, I'm gonna get the frozen box with eight slices in it. You know, yep, because yeah. I don't want to throw out a stale half loaf of garlic bread. <laughs> exactly. It's like I've <laughs> I've had to sign up for so much crap in my life and you know and and switch services and this and that and power company and and that's the other thing i hate doing is um finding a distributor for my power bill every three months just to make sure that Uh, it doesn't go up like a billion percent Um, see i don't do that i've i've never done that maybe again that comes down to our our very slight age difference where i have never compared electric distributors yeah it, it really doesn't take that much time and you can do it all online which is why i do it like if i could make this Ooh. if i could cut the cable bill and stuff all online i probably would but um yeah yeah i, I love doing that but now all right should we get going <laughs> might as well yeah <laughs> all right uh welcome to the hugging no learning it's a show about one thing watching seinfeld for the first time i'm tim murphy and i'm ted hollowell and today we will be talking about season nine episode seven the slicer but before that what's the deal with stuff from our last episode the merv griffin show we will be doing a little deep dive on the merv griffin show and merv griffin himself in a second but the episode starts with kramer and jerry comparing their friendship relationship to kane and abel and neither one really knows the story Jerry knows that Cain slew Abel, and then they just kind of lose the thread from there. So in the biblical book of Genesis, Cain and Abel are the first two sons of Adam and Eve. Cain was born first and was a farmer, and his brother Abel became a shepherd, and they both made sacrifices to God. Why? Who knows? They skipped that part in the Bible where they're like, you know, <laughs> all of a sudden, like the the, or, the origin story of 
humans is very short in the beginning of you forget how much happens in genesis it's like the adam and eve stuff that's like the first couple chapters immediately we're on to like cain and abel and noah and like all that stuff happens in this first book it's like man they like put everything into the pilot episode and it's like where are they gonna go from here you know i can't wait yeah so it's like no it's never explained like how they knew they had to make a sacrifice to god like how they knew what it should be but here's the thing cain is a farmer so he brings some of his produce and abel is a shepherd so he brings his best sheep but god favored abel's sacrifice instead of cain's again why who knows old testament god just did shit you know it's like he didn't need a reason for for much um he just sort of just played around and it's like most it's possibly cleared up in the new testament a couple of books later like the new testament tries to retcon everything in the old testament and sort of like explain it and so they're like oh well uh, it, it sounds like revisionist history but they're like oh well um you know cain brought some produce but but it wasn't the best like abel brought his best sheep and that's why god liked it more it's like well what's the <laughs> why were they doing this anyway but um you know no one really brings that up but so cain murdered abel because god liked him better and then god punished cain by condemning him to a life of wandering and then cain then dwelt in the land of nod where he built a city and father line of descendants beginning with enoch with what woman i, I actually found out awan the daughter of adam and eve so his aunt wife i guess or cousin <laughs> no because he was the son of adam and eve and a, the, their daughter would be oh so enoch his son had an aunt mother and cain had an aunt wife no a cousin no, a sister wife. There we go. Sister we, wife. We are uh, we're getting into some real Mormon Brazzers territory here in uh, the beginning of man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't have you don't you don't realize how far back humanity's incest fetish goes, but all the way back to the beginning, really. <laughs> <laughs> not to not to derail you, Grace and I started watching the WeWork documentary on Prime, or not the WeWork documentary, oh, right, right. the LuLaRoe documentary. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lula Rich. Um, it's a four part series we only watched the first one so far and it starts off by saying like how the husband and wife met each other the wife she's like i was down on my luck a single mother of seven children oh "Oh, damn whoo okay um skip ahead a little bit they get married together they have 11 kids uh, because i guess like he had four They, they i think they adopted a few uh skip ahead a little bit and they say that one of her daughters married one of his sons. I'm like, oh Whoa. no, oh no, what? Step what are we doing here? And stepsister, in other words, <laughs> we hope. Yes, yes, <laughs> we hope that. Was yeah, the- well, the, well, like as soon as she says it, the guy chimes in. She's like, it's okay. They they have no blood relation. <laughs> I'm like, that doesn't make it better yeah. in the eyes of like normal America. I I. No, whatever normal America is, you know, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I hesitate to say anything is normal, really. Yeah, you still have some splaining to do when you bring that up. Like, how'd you guys meet? Uh, okay, well, first of all, we're not blood-related. Like, that's how... We gotta get that out of the way. <laughs> it, it, it's also very easy to not include that in the first 15 minutes of the documentary about your company. <laughs> oh, these are the people that founded it? Oh my gosh, I thought they were just yes. like, oh wow. Oh no, these are these are the people who founded and still to this day run the company. Wild, oh my gosh. A- at least as far as I know, we've only watched the first yeah. of four episodes, so. That's crazy, yeah, that's, uh, that's okay, too Okay, anyway, back... Back to the Bible. So that's <laughs> that's pretty much the end of the Cain and Abel story. Um, and the story uh, appears in the Quran as well, but it's varied 
just a little bit. So moving on to Merv Griffin and the Merv Griffin Show. Of course, Merv Griffin, who passed away in 2007 at the age of 82, was a American television host and media mogul. He did create Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, as well as uh, some other game shows and, and TV shows and stuff. But the Merv Griffin Show itself was an American television talk show that ran starting in October of 62 until March of 1963 as a daytime talk show on NBC. Then in May of 1965 until August of 1969, it ran in first-run syndications, with some stations still running it in the daytime, and other non-NBC affiliates broadcasting it opposite The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. So that was really kind of hmm. the only game in town for late night, or at least the biggest anyway. Like, nobody could touch him, and so they had this um, this syndicated show that they could run against it, and, and I guess it did okay, because in August of 1969 until February of 1972... CBS ran it uh, exclusively 11.30 p.m. weeknights against Johnny Carson. Wow. Uh, in 1970, Merv Griffin relocated his show from New York to Los Angeles, but without his sidekick, veteran British character actor Arthur Treacher, who told him, at my age, I don't want to move, especially to someplace that shakes. Uh, and I'm feeling that more and more. <laughs> Not the shakes part. I, I don't. There's no danger of that, but also, like, <laughs> I'm done moving. The, as, as you get older, the less you want to move. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I get you. But so if that happened in 1970, I didn't read that it moved back. So there's really no reason for Kramer to find the set unless, well, I guess Merv Griffin conceivably <laughs> changed the set when he moved it to New York. And so this one had been in storage. I mean, L.A. So this one had been in storage in New York. And they finally just tossed for, it in 1997. For 20, 20 <laughs> plus years? Yeah. It it's not that far fetched, I guess, because yeah. I mean things can just get lost in warehouses, and then you find it one fucking Wednesday morning in 1997, and you're like, yeah. "Holy shit, this is the old Merv Griffin set." Yeah, uh, but at that don't... point, I feel like it, it would be like an item to be bid on at an auction. You know, well, not that's just... what Kramer says. He's like, "This belongs in the Smithsonian." Yeah, not not <laughs> just thrown in a dumpster. It is Kramer weird. Is that right? Just tossed it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh, it's TV history. I mean, not. It certainly didn't have the staying power, or was as part of the zeitgeist as something like the Tonight Show. You know, like yeah, you and I had no idea about it. And honestly, I couldn't find a picture that really looked like the set that they put in Kramer's apartment. Like from what I saw, like there was I, there was one picture maybe that looked kind of similar, but everything else, like Merv Griffin, had a real desk, like a normal talk show host, and. So there must have been one incarnation of it that looked like that, maybe when they were in New York, but I couldn't find... I looked at a lot of pictures, and I was like, nothing looks like that set. Mm -hmm. So so this guy, Arthur Treacher, used to introduce him, like, and now Merv Griffin. But after that point, Griffin would do the announcing himself and walk on stage with the phrase, and now, here I come. <laughs> so he'd be like, tonight oh, on this Merv Griffin show, uh, <laughs> Liberace and Boutros Boutros Gali, and now, here I come. Which I kind of like. I always like, who? Oh, Craig Kilborn when he hosted the Daily Show before John Stewart, he did his own announcing, which I always thought was. And he and I think he did that on his uh, on the Craig Kilborn show too. After Letterman, he would he would do the announcements just like that. And I never knew it might have been like kind of an homage to the way Merv Griffin would do it. But but Craig Kilborn wouldn't say, "Here I come." He'd say, "Look over there by the window, it's Craig Kilborn," or something like that. Um, and I always <laughs> thought that was funny because I was like, "Well, you're Craig Kilborn, and you're." announcing yourself. Griffin's show continued to rank in second place behind Carson, and by 1972, sensing that his time at CBS was ending, and the the the, the CBS also didn't like that he was he'd get like political. Like that he was he really was like maybe the Colbert to Johnny Carson's sort of fluffy world of 
Hollywood Entertainment. Like he got real on his show and he'd have, you know, political people on as well as as Hollywood people. But CBS was like, you know, stop saying the Vietnam War is bad and stuff like that, please. But um, so he was <laughs> fired um, within a few months by CBS, but he had already signed a deal to continue his program and syndication as soon as CBS canceled his show. I don't know whether this was behind CBS's back or not, but when CBS did cancel him, his new show started the Monday right after and it proved to be more successful than its network counterpart. And it ran in first-run syndication again from February 72 to September of 1986. His own King World productions, which if you watch Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune, you know that King World you know, syndicated those, and that was his company, uh, took over syndication of the program in 84. Stations owned by his old syndicator were bought by the Fox Network, which was planning a Joan Rivers late-night show. So everything was so they dropped his show, and everything was canceled altogether in, in 1986. But yeah, rather than just talk to somebody for like five or six minutes, like a lot of shows did, he would sometimes stretch out an, one interview for like 30 minutes or sometimes just dedicated the entire show Ooh. to like one person or one topic. Yeah. And his idea was to have as many diverse guests as possible from entertainers to scientists, Hollywood glamour, Vegas variety, comedians, political leaders. A perfect example is an episode from 1965, which featured zany comedian Phyllis Diller, followed by Captain Mitsuo Fuchida the Japanese Navy officer who planned and led the attack on Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. That's yeah, not wild. Like Phyllis Diller, the crazy, ah, you know, like the crazy, and then the, the guy who planned the Pearl Harbor attack, who it's interesting that like, you know, he was alive in 1965, but you feel, you know, you feel like history happened all at once a long time ago, but you're like, oh no, the, all those people were still alive. Like it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that was probably only like 20 or so years ago. That's like, yeah. I, I mean, not to talk about too many documentaries in the yeah. first part of the show, but that's like interviewing people who lived through 9-11 right yeah. now. Yeah, true, true. Um, or the people who planned 9-11, if like they popped up on, <laughs> on Jimmy Fallon. Which, <laughs> which, speaking of another documentary, we were watching uh -oh. Turning Point on Netflix, yeah. and they interviewed, God, what was his name? Someone who, someone from the Mujahideen, uh, in the documentary, I'm like, oh shit, it's that guy. Because they had just like talked about him and like, oh yeah, he was evil. He's the one who started the trend of throwing acid in young girls' faces. And then he just shows up in HD. I'm like, oh, holy fuck. Okay. Wild. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. But it'd be like, you know, on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, Seth Rogen, and the masterminds behind 9 11. <laughs> what? Oh no. I don't want to see this. Uh, oh you know. no. To get, not together anyway. This makes me think of a, a episode of Comedy Bang Bang. Tonight, Seth Rogen and the ghost of Muhammad Atta. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just Paul F. Tompkins, of course. Yes. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> across the 4,855 episodes, more than 25,000 guests appeared on the Merv Griffin Show, including Nixon, Ford, Carter, and Reagan, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, Jonas Salk, Robert F. Kennedy, Orson Welles, Robert De Niro, Tom Cruise, John Wayne, Tom Hanks, uh, Gene Wilder, musical performers and composers like Devo and Aretha Franklin. I hear his interview with Devo is hilarious. It's on YouTube and it's like awkward interview with Devo on the Merv Griffin show or something. I didn't have a chance to watch <laughs> it, but the Merv Griffin show hosted Whitney Houston's first TV appearance in 1983. Uh, you mentioned, um, uh, no way, you didn't mention him, Muhammad Ali, sports figures like that, Joe Namath. Willie Mays, Reggie Jackson, notable guests that rarely made TV appearances showed up 
on the Merv Griffin Show, like Andy Warhol, Norman Rockwell, and Salvador Dali. And many of the most important comedians of the era were on the show, including early performances by George Carlin, Richard Pryor, Andy Kaufman, Steve Martin. And in his breakout year, one of his first TV appearances in 1981, 27-year-old Jerry Seinfeld. No way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I couldn't track down what Jerry Seinfeld's first... He was on some random like New York public access show in like 1977, and that is out there, and it's really weird. But <laughs> I couldn't figure out what his first like major TV appearance was. He was on The Tonight Show in May of 1981, so I think that might have been the first. And then after that, he was like everywhere in 81. He was on like HBO, and, and pretty much every show had him. That really was his breakout year as far as stand-up went. But yeah, so... That's pretty much all I, I, I know about the Merv Griffin show. Obviously, there's a lot there, but it, it was a culture juggernaut, and yet it, it really is lost on people even as old as I am. You know, It's just, it's just lost to time. You yeah. Know? Lost, to, lost to a new age. It was airing when I was, you know, I was five when it was canceled, so I, I don't remember watching it, but, you know, it it was on in my lifetime, and, and it the only reference point most people would have for it, I imagine, is this Seinfeld episode. Jeez. Yeah. Sorry, Merv. Uh, Jim Fowler, who is on Kramer's incarnation of the Merv, Gr- the Merv Griffin show, uh, <laughs> passed away in 2019 at age 89. And he was oh, an, man. Uh, yeah, an American professional zoologist, host of the acclaimed wildlife documentary television show, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And he used to be kind of like the sidekick to the actual host. But then when that host retired, he, he took over. Um, but Fowler was the official wildlife correspondent for NBC's Today Show and made 40 appearances on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. So it's kind of funny that he was this late-night animal guy, but it seemed like he had only a deal <laughs> with, with Carson and not with Merv Griffin. So it's kind of uh, interesting that they brought him on this incarnation of The Merv Griffin Show. And that was all our homework from last week. Here's some more trivia and tidbits, though. Uh, the episode's writer, Bruce Eric Kaplan, successfully pitched the story of Jerry borrowing a prized Super Bowl from his girlfriend and then losing it, but Jerry adapted the idea to his girlfriend having a whole collection of vintage toys, which I think works better. Although uh, the way they went about it, as you heard in the last episode, was questionable at best to us. Um, the working <laughs> title of this episode was the Merv Griffin set, but they obviously went with um, the Merv Griffin show. Since the real set for the Merv Griffin show had long since been destroyed, so that answers a little question, the Seinfeld crew had to replicate it using archival photos from the show for reference. Photos that I could not find uh the set for jerry's apartment had to be dismantled to make room for kramer's apartment's expanded set as a result that's why jerry's apartment is not seen in this episode (laughs) yeah so question answered there Uh, a few seconds of the merv griffin theme song is played when the castle rock entertainment logo is shown at the end of the show so that was the stinger i guess the real life music from the merv griffin show not a jonathan wolf Maybe a Jonathan Wolf reproduction mm. of that, but not in a Jonathan Wolf original. Um, yeah. The commercial break music that Kramer uses on the Merv Griffin set is actually the theme music from the Jerry sitcom pilot from the season four finale. So that is a Jonathan oh Wolf God. original, if I <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if I had to guess. And when Kramer plays his pre-recorded theme music as George comes in, a voice says, "Turn music off." I had totally forgotten that that joke was previously used in the Muffin Tops when he is giving the Peterman reality tour and he's playing like banjo music over the uh, intro and then it goes, turn music off. Yeah. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So it's just something Kramer needs in every like uh, (laughs) musical cue that he he has. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, and so that is, uh, that's it. That's all. All right. Uh, do we got any news or anything? Um, I'm still trying. Well, the, the countdown to Netflix is still on. That's, that's all the news that I saw. Just the countdown to Netflix. If you've never listened to this show before, we are not a research-heavy show, despite the last 29 minutes <laughs> being exclusively research and homework. We like to have our questions come up naturally in the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. I've never seen these episodes before. Tim has never seen these episodes before in chronological order, despite being a lifelong fan for years. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet. It is at nohugging on Twitter or nohuggingnolearningshow at gmail.com. Both those links are in the description. If you would like to support this show, we are on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash nohugging. Again, that link is in the description. We've got a couple of tiers. Five bucks and up gets you access to content. We are averaging two Patreon exclusives a month. And weekly, we have bonus content that we clip out of our main feed episode of just us like rambling of <laughs> stuff that really just like padded the episode, ranging anywhere from like five minutes to 30 minutes on weeks <laughs> where we don't like to shut up and not hear ourselves talk for a little bit. Yeah. But our Patreon exclusives so far. We have got B-Movie, we've got Sour Grapes, and we've got Space Jam. And by the time this comes out, there will be a new one coming out this week, maybe? We haven't we haven't decided on um, what we're watching yet, right. but there, there will probably be a new one coming uh, late this week, like Thursday or Friday or something. Uh, if you would also like to support us, but you don't want to give us any money, you can give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice, and we will send you a holographic, no-hugging, no-learning sticker, free of charge, while supplies last. Um, we just need your mailing address so that we can send that to you. All of that being said, Season 9, Episode 7, The Slicer, original air date, November 13th, 1997. I was four years 10 months and 24 days old and tim if you're counting this episode and every other episode we've got left we have 16 episodes until we become a i mean it's pretty clear we have to watch all 4855 episodes of the merv griffin show and we're yeah? a daily podcast it's gonna be oh, daily fuck. just so we're not god damn it Ugh. <laughs> And so that's 60 to 90 minutes of an episode we have to watch every day and then record a podcast about it. <sighs> Ted, you're not going to be able to accept God. that new job. <laughs> oh, man. No time. I, I'm I'm just convinced you just want to become a daily podcast at this point. Your last, like, two or three suggestions have been, okay, well, we have to watch uh, this thing that has 5,000 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why would the guy whose identity has been a daily broadcast all of a sudden want to do a daily <laughs> podcast? I don't know. Boy, life's confusing sometimes. <laughs> but it's just a daunting... I mean, even... How would I figure out how long... <laughs> how would I figure out how long... Do I divide that by 365? And what number does that give me? I'm not good enough at math to know... What? How, how many episodes per day? Well, no. How many... How long will it take us if we do... Oh, uh, what should you I take... If you take how many episodes is it? Four eight five five. Divide that by three hundred and sixty-five. Yeah. Okay. And is that how many? What's that? That's what? What's that number? Thirteen. Holy fuck! It's so that's thirteen years even of daily? a daily podcast. <laughs> Tim, 
We can't do My that. God. That's why I was like, no, that has to be wrong. I put it in like three or four times. <laughs> I'm, Tim, I'm going to be older than you are now when we finish this. I'm going to be dead for crying out loud. <laughs> you're you're going to be... Feel? You're going to be 53, yes. 54? Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> we're going to we're yeah. both going to be boomers whenever this new show ends. Yeah. So it'll be I you know, conceivably the Merv Griffin show should be right up our alley by that point. Oh my god. Oh, uh, 13 years of a daily show. Whole no, thank you. Oh my god. Wow. The best idea we've had so far. Ah. <laughs> uh. God. All right. If you are looking at TV Guide the night of November 13th, 1997, you are going to see Kramer gets into meat slicing, semicolon, <laughs> Jerry dates a doctor, parenthetical, Marsha Cross, who isn't impressed with his job, semicolon, George's new boss is a former adversary. Wow. It's long, and I don't know... It's okay. I don't know. We'll see if we can make it better at the end. I'm, I'm sure we can. But I did... So I asked a bunch of other people my age last night about meat slicers, because you and I talked about how, like, <laughs> it must have been a kitchen gadget that, that people wanted to have at some point, like back in the 70s or 80s or something like that, because yeah. my parents had yeah. one. I remember there being one in the house and it being and me being, like, really scared of it in a way that kids are, like, scared of the Bermuda Triangle or quicksand, you know, it's like... <laughs> Oh, I have like a health I, a I, healthy fear of meat slicers. I I can't come within six feet of this meat slicer. It's gonna suck me in and chop off all my fingers. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's like a fucking jet engine. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of the things you're taught as a kid not to. But why was it in the house? I didn't know. Um, because I didn't think my you know parents were were getting into meat slicing. But I think it was just a gadget that somehow Big Slicer convinced everybody they needed in their kitchen at some point. <laughs> And like my my neighbor John, who I never talk shit about, not on this podcast or ever. I don't want to qualify. Um, uh, he, like he compared it to he compared it to fondue sets and the mania around fondue oh. back in the seventies and stuff. And I was like, yeah, my parents had one of those too. Oh, we never man. used it, but yes, very similar. Somehow everyone was convinced they needed a fondue. We're gonna have melted cheese all the time. We need to buy our own fondue set. Yeah. Uh, so we started with it, but, but the other people my age were like, no, my parents didn't have one. So I don't know who, I don't know what, I don't know what, uh, demographic actually was buying them, but you said your uncle or something had one, right? My dad had oh, one. Oh, your dad, okay. I may still have one. Yeah. And my grandparents have one. Yeah. There you go. See? <laughs> um, so we start with the cold open and whoa, Elaine is in bed with Jerry. Oh my gosh. Whoa. Uh, and George is there, and Kramer. Oh, yeah, and oh. <laughs> and we realize it's just a nightmare about uh, Elaine smothering friendship with these three guys. But there's an alarm going off at three thirty in the morning, and it's not hers; it is her neighbor's. And she bangs on the wall to get them to turn it off, but nothing happens. And did you notice that when she looks at her clock the first time, it says three thirty? And then when she goes, and like lays down on bed and covers her head with her pillow, it says 329. Now, are we to no, believe, Ted, oh. that Elaine's apartment exists and can go back in time, you know, at least one minute at a time? Or did a wizard do mm, it? I think a wizard did it. But <laughs> that is not the only continuity error in this episode. Uh-huh. I don't know if you noticed a very big one. I don't know if I did. Definitely uh, let me know. Oh, okay. I am excited to get to it. Yeah. All right. So we open the episode proper with George interviewing at Kruger Industrial Smoothing. 
And did you see, here's another production error, the crystal clear reflection of the television studio in the silver balls on Kruger's desk. No. Yeah. You can see like the studio <laughs> lights and, and I think even a little bit of like the audience bleachers and stuff. Like, I'm like, why would you put something reflective, reflective that reflects what's behind the camera <laughs> on the thing you're shooting? I was like, that didn't need to be there. But again, maybe this is an HDSD thing. It just looked like a bunch of blurry whiteness on uh, this silver ball. And in HD or, or whatever I'm watching on, uh, you know, that Google gives it to me in, I'm like, those are studio lights. That's a studio. <laughs> like You can see a TV studio in a set. On the other side of Kruger's desk, there is emptiness. You know, it's like oh there should be a, a wall or something. And I, I we're introduced to George's, the guy that George is interviewing with, who... It isn't explicitly stated, but this is Kruger. Did you get that here, or did that um, um, occur I think to you that later? Came in, I think that came in the next scene. Uh, I don't think it's explicitly stated that that is him, that that is his yeah. name, until yeah. much later in the episode. But I think it's hinted at in the next scene, at least. Yeah, and and I love his, like, well, George, you know, he's, like, just so dumb and uncare like he's like well uh what the hell <laughs> you know he's like uh whatever I, what do i care if you work here yeah and, and george yeah. even says like uh, oh no actually th- this is here where uh, george says mr kruger uh, i oh, won't okay. let you down and he yeah. says i don't care i don't care <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like i can't believe george got through to the interview process and i'm like why can't i find a, a boss like kruger <laughs> why can't i find a job like this how does George fail into something like this? Because, yeah, he's like, well, George, I don't see how your time with the Yankees would translate to Kruger Industrial Smoothie. He's like, well, we were all about smoothing things over. <laughs> and I was like, and uh, and working hard. In fact, we called it the grind or whatever. It's like, oh, man. Um, <laughs> but then George sees a picture of Kruger's family, and George himself is in the background with a lot of hair. Over at Monk's, George is explaining why he's in that picture, and the boombox incident, as he says. So George is at the beach one day. He comes out of the water. All his belongings have disappeared, and he chucks, he accuses the family next to him of stealing his clothes, and he throws his boombox, throws their boombox into the ocean, and he sees all of his stuff floating out there too, and the tide took all of his stuff out. And so, you know, this happened to be Kruger's family, and that's why George is in the picture. Uh, George wants to work there because it is, is so mismanaged. It seems like it's made for him. And he says, he even says, I could run wild in there. <laughs> or I could go hog yeah. wild or something like that. <laughs> and I think it's Kramer that says that, uh, uh, Kruger, isn't that the company that botched the Statue of Liberty job? And I- I'm guessing, not knowing what Kramer is talking about, Jerry's like, oh, yeah, they couldn't get all the green stuff off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know if, I mean, was there a, I- I'm not, I don't think I'm going to look it up, but. I didn't know what like I didn't know what he was talking about. I mean, I knew what Jerry was talking no about because yeah, I mean, like that's the joke. It was bronze, and then it like rusted over, or corroded, or whatever happens to bronze when you leave it outside. And I, I didn't know if there ever was a plan to actually buff all that out or whatever. But yeah, but Kramer advises George to steal the picture and get himself airbrushed out. And then Kramer complains about the shoddy lunch meat that Monk serves and destroys his sandwich and Jerry's sandwich, which I he like paws at and like manhandles. He's like, look at this. And yeah, I, I thought that was funny when he just like fingers Jerry's sandwich and like puts his mitts all over it. Uh, up in Jerry's apartment, we're finally back. Superman is back and still on the bookshelf. Kramer has traded his sausage press for a meat slicer. And Elaine comes in and 
Jerry got a date with a doctor that Elaine met, Sarah Siderides. So, man, we're like, the beginning of the episode, we're getting first and last names of a love interest. Yeah, and professions. Yeah. She's a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Elaine is exhausted because her neighbor with the alarm is in Paris, and so no one's going to be there to turn it off ever. And Kramer says, hey, that happened to Lomez, and he blew the neighbor's circuit. Uh, over in Elaine's apartment, So and he's, and, and he's like, oh, I can help you out with, you know, with that. Uh, over in Elaine's apartment, Kramer has a paper clip, and he's like, all we have to do is put it in this outlet that's right next to this apartment, and it should short everything out. And uh, he tells Elaine to do it, and Elaine doesn't want to do it. Obviously, no one wants to do it, because sticking a paper clip in an electrical outlet, as Kramer says, is it's not a good time. Uh, <laughs> but he does it anyway, uh, electrocuting himself. But it seemingly works and knocks out the alarm sound. I also like the gag here. This is the second instance we get of it that... Everyone knows and everyone agrees that Elaine's entire apartment building smells like potatoes. Yeah, yeah. It smell is that the one that smelled like potatoes? Uh she she thinks it might be the potato apartment but Jerry says the whole building smells like potatoes. Yeah, and then Kramer also says it smell what smells like potatoes or something like that. Over at Monks Sarah Siderides won't stop talking about saving lives as a doctor and how great it is to save lives and how no one can understand till you have someone's life in your hands and you save it. And I love, I do appreciate how condescending Jerry is being in this instance, like, because she really is going overboard about it and really making us as an audience, I think, oh, dislike yeah. her for it, you know? Making it seem like Jerry says later, making it seem like, you know, that you're nothing unless you're saving lives as a doctor or yeah. whatever. Like Jerry's comment about, is it anything like hitting a homer in softball? Yeah, because I hit a real whopper yesterday or something like that. Like, really <laughs> laying it on and making her hopefully feel like crap, but probably not, probably going over her head. Over at Flash Photo, which was at 31 Carmine Street, it is now uh, seemingly nothing. I don't think anything's in the actual, Aww. yeah. Nothing's in the actual place that was Flash Photo that I could tell, but... Next door, you see an awning that says Nails, and that is now Prodigy Coffee, uh, or at least it was the last time that Google Maps drove by. 31, <laughs> 31 Carmine Street is a, so above those storefronts, there is uh, apartments up there, and we've been talking a lot about, you know, what we thought were like accurately priced condos for the neighborhoods they're in, in New York City. And I don't get, you know, as expensive as they are, we're like, yeah, it's New York. You're going to buy a two-bedroom condo for $2 million. That makes sense. Yeah. But so, or, or you're going to rent it for like 2000 or or 2500 or whatever. So number 4A in the building is for rent. It's one bedroom, one bath, thirty-four fifty. No, thanks. It's not, I, looking at the pictures, it's not remarkable. It's not a, it's not like, oh, well, the, yeah, but the bedroom is a thousand square feet. No. It's a small, it's got a little tiny kitchen. It's, it's, I'm like, what? It's not near anything particularly interesting. It's like a block or two from Washington Square Park, I think. But I'm like, what's going on in the West Village where this is 3450? <laughs> and yet we've seen apartments in the Upper West Side where we're like, yeah, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that makes sense. You know, you're a block from Central Park, you're across the street from the History Museum or whatever. It's like, this is completely unremarkable, and it's super, super overpriced, I think, knowing what little I do about Manhattan real estate. I was shocked to see that. If I won the lottery, I would not get an apartment like this in 31 Carmine Street. Uh, you will never have me, 31 Carmine Street condo board. But so the guy did, the guy at the Photoshop, uh, Photoshop, remember? Uh, but with an F this time. He, uh, he, did, <laughs> he did airbrush out Kruger and... Uh. Um, yeah, the wrong guy. And he's like, I thought you said you wanted to be airbrushed out. He's like, yeah, that's me. And the guy looks at the photo and goes, you've lost a lot of hair. 
And George goes, I am aware. Okay, so this is where we get our other rather large continuity error. You didn't notice this? No. Okay, George pulls out the photo. We see George pull the photo out, and we, we see his face change, right? He, we get the camera on the photo. Kruger is out of the photo. George is still in, right? Yeah. Then we get the two shot over George's shoulder with the Photoshop guy in frame. You can see the photo that George is holding, and Kruger is in the photo. Whoa. And it, is it, it's this like actual Kruger, not the later Kruger? Correct. Yeah, it's the actual Kruger. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how or why they did that. Why did they even have that photo on that set that day? I, I, I'm I'm guessing like it's an actual photo that exists of maybe the actor's family. Yeah. And they, for the sake of just the up close on the photo shots, they did a couple different slides. They did one with George photoshopped in. Yeah. They did one with George photoshopped in and Kruger photoshopped out. And they did one with George photoshopped out and Kruger painted over like a cartoon, but they didn't actually print those out. They just made graphics of them. So they just needed the real photo as the prop. Yeah. And uh, again, I think this comes into a standard def, high def situation where you can't, you can't tell in standard def that he's still in the photo, but it's plainly obvious in HD that he's right there. It's, it's the old photo. It's, it made me think that at first he gave back the original photo and he made a copy that had uh, photoshopped Kruger out, which would play into not being an issue because he still has the main photo yeah, you know, yeah. for the rest of the episode. But that that's would have not been the case. Smart. Yeah, that would have been smart. Like, don't photo, don't airbrush the original. Make a copy of this photo and then airbrush that one just to make sure, you know, so that both still exist. If I ever need this original, you know, it really was an oversight on George's normally clandestine, not clandestine, normally um, just perfect scheming. But yeah, you're right about it. And it may all, I wonder if it's like also some kind of 16943 blocking issue too, where we were never even supposed to see that photo. But also mm, the, the standard def high def thing too is, yeah, it's probably more likely. But yeah, because whenever they show a close up of it, it's like just a, a camera, like maybe someone's hand on it, like showing the detail of it. And then all other times it's being waved around or whatever. Yeah, I did not notice that though. <laughs> that could be it too. Maybe it was always visible and they were like, no one's going to, no one's going to host a podcast in <laughs> 14 years 23 yeah 20 24 years from now 24 years from now and, yes and and be like hey th- they they made this mistake <laughs> that's not going to happen just print it if if larry david were to hear us now he <laughs> would roll over in his grave and he is not dead yes Larry David, by the way, was a meme this week. Did you see? Because he's, I think, I think like Timothy Chalamet may be dating his daughter or something like that. And oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, they were um, they were pictured together at a at a restaurant. So there were lots of and because Larry David is very old and Timothy Chalamet is very young, there was a lot of uh, playfulness on the internet with that picture. Did uh, did you see the photo I put on our or the video I put on our Twitter? Uh, Larry David was in a TikTok at New York Fashion Week. I didn't get to see the video, but I heard about it. Yeah. Um, the the TikTok is just playing the Curb theme. Ah, 
and Larry David is sitting front row at this fashion show plugging his ears (laughs) for whatever reason. I'm I'm guessing probably just the music is very loud, which is easy to believe at an event like that. Yeah. Um, Very very bass heavy, very loud. Larry is an older man, and he's just sitting sitting in the front row, disgruntled look on his face, like disgruntled and confused, plugging his ears. Yeah. His, his daughter is like a, a well-known socialite, so I wonder if that was the thing. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm here for my daughter. What are we doing here? It's too loud. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, that's, um, I, I like, any the curb music's just funny. You can put it in, in most situations, and it makes everything uh, immediately funny. So I'll have to check that out. Over at Elaine's. She is uh, in her apartment, and a cat in the apartment next door starts meowing very, very loudly. Up in Jerry's apartment, Kramer is now wearing a butcher's coat because, as he says, if you buy enough meat, they'll give you anything. (laughs) 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 And what they discern is that the auto feeder for the cat must have stopped working when they blew the power. And Kramer says, oh, yeah, the same thing happened to Lomez. And he just checked into a motel until the cat died. Jesus Christ. Yeah, Lomez, very heartless. <laughs> Jerry hated his date uh, with the doctor because, you know, he made it seem like if he if he's not saving lives as a doctor, he's, you know, nothing. And Elaine is like, well, I, you know, I, yeah. I love the comparison that the date died on the table. Yeah, died on the table. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and Elaine's like, well, you know, dermatology is her life. She takes it very seriously. And Jerry's like, wait a second. Dermatology, saving lives. Their whole industry is based on put some aloe on it. And <laughs> Kramer has an idea with the slicer for Elaine's problem with the cat. And uh, then George, when they leave to go take care of that, George advises Jerry to go on a revenge date, do something really fancy, and then tell her off uh, about not being a lifesaver, just being a dermatologist. And Jerry's like, wait, so you did this before? He's like, well, I almost. I, I couldn't get the girl to go out on a second date with me, <laughs> which was hilarious. In Elaine's hallway, Kramer uh, cuts a very, very thin slice of meat, and it slides and slides it under the door. Did you hear the slurping and eating sounds that went along with yeah. this? I loved it. It was like... <laughs> so funny i was like cats don't sound like that (laughs) that's a person or something (laughs) (laughs) i love that they included it though and now elaine wants to borrow the slicer but she you know kramer's not she's not checked out on it and i love kramer's test for this like where does the meat go and she's like right there he's like but where do you turn it on and off she's like right there he's like yeah but where does the meat go? <laughs> like, those are the only two things you need to know, where the meat goes and where to turn on and off. But here's my question. How, where do they have this plugged in? Because they blew the outlet that's right next to the apartment. <laughs> are we to believe this oh is my a battery-operated meat slicer of some sort? <laughs> I didn't think of that. <laughs> oh, my God. I... I guess you could say like, oh yeah, well there's an outlet across the hall or yeah, something, a little but further down or even in Elaine's apartment. Oh my or something. god! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait a wait a second, you guys, how are you? So, <laughs> over at Country Cafe, which was at sixty nine Thompson Street, it was a French restaurant, uh, four stars on Yelp, dressy casual. So I guess it qualifies as fancy. You know, I probably wouldn't go in there like jeans and t-shirt if it's listed. It's got two dollar signs though, so not bad. And mm. uh, it was in Soho, and it is now Cork Wine Bar, so still kind of fancy. It sounds like. Uh, and Jerry is there with Sarah, and he launches 
right into the revenge telling off, calling her Pimple Popper MD. And at that moment, a patient comes over to thank her for saving his life because she caught his skin cancer. And Jerry forgot <laughs> about skin cancer. Uh, <laughs> this um, this has aged very well with how much Dr. Pimple Popper has blown up. Yeah, like that's where they got the name, right? It, it has to be. I don't know. I don't like... Ex- like from Seinfeld? Yeah, like this like they coined I, the term hmm. pimple popper MD and my guess is like maybe they couldn't get anybody to sign off on that but I mean I, I've always thought Dr. Pimple Popper had to be a reference to this line. God, I have I have no idea. Um I mean it it's easy enough to probably think of that without having seen this episode. Yeah. But I mean did, didn't you see this and go, "Oh, that's where they got it from?" cuz it is a it's so specific, you know? They're so similar. Dr. Pimple Popper and Pimple Popper MD. See, I didn't think that's where they got it from. I thought like, oh, that's probably an easy thing to, hmm, I don't know. Maybe they did get it from this. Yeah. That, that's always been where I've, I've stood, but, but, you know, I've, I've just known about this reference. So I'll write it down for homework. Maybe we can find out whether it's a reference or whether anybody from the Seinfeld universe has talked about the show or anything like that. But, um, yeah. That's, I'll, I'll write that down for next week, but it is it just seems like, um, I don't know, I, I can't compare it to anything else, but yeah, I think a lot of reality shows kind of lean heavy on like pop culture reference, but replace the main character's name with, you know, like Chrisley Knows Best is based on Father Knows Best, or Keeping Up With The Kardashians is based on the phrase Keeping Up With The Joneses, you know, it's like they just... Yeah, but it, is Pimple Popper MD such a huge pop culture reference? <laughs> As it's a, a throwaway fan. line in in a late in a last season episode of Seinfeld. I think that most Seinfeld fans would say it's not that much of a throwaway line. It's a very memorable one. It's it's hmm. certainly in like the top fifty Seinfeld references. No way. I don't know. Maybe. Really? I don't know. Chi- okay. Chime in on on Twitter if you agree or disagree. But um, yeah, I, I'd be very curious to know because I feel like it's it's just one of those moments in Seinfeld lore that people remember. It's not, you know, maybe it'd be like in the in the 40 to 50 range, but I think it's up there. Okay. okay. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, and at that, so over at Elaine's, Elaine is opening letters with the slicer and telling Kramer that, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm done with it. I'll drop it off tonight. Um, and she walks over to the door and she has, she notices her, her heels are uneven and she has an idea looking at the slicer about how to fix those uneven heels. <laughs> Back over at Flash Photo, the guy was able to replace Kruger, but he replaced him with a cartoon that I love his defense of like, hey, I had to do it from memory. I think that's pretty good <laughs> considering. <laughs> and it is like, if you know, yeah, it's really good. Um, it's much better yeah. than I would be able to do. But yeah. like, <laughs> I, I love, I feel like there's a little turn in this scene. I, I think they could have played it a little better, but. I'm trying to think of a similar scene to this, but George is yelling at the guy where he's like, I don't need a cartoon. I need a a photograph. And the guy is like, I think he could have done this a little more stern. He says, well, then you'd better get a camera. I I I think this has happened to George once or twice before where he's like really giving it to somebody. And that somebody is like, you realize I could beat you up, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and, and immediately the tables turn where they're like, I'm done with you talking to me this way <laughs> because George <laughs> is laying into the guy and then he's like well then you better get a camera 
I feel like it was meant to shut George down in that way, but but it was done a little more cordially than I, I think it would have been funnier if it does that ring a bell to you when he's like been yelling at somebody and the other person's like, Oh yeah, tone's wrong. Yeah, I can't Oh yeah. I can't think of anything specifically, but I always I was like that. Oh, you know what? Where is um Damn it. I just had one in my... Oh, 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 The Office. So I know this isn't Seinfeld, but when he when, when Michael runs down to the warehouse and he's like, you stupid idiot. And Daryl's like, start over. <laughs> Even though Michael's his direct superior, I love that he's like, start over. <laughs> I've always loved that. So that kind of thing where it's like, you know, the, the tone's wrong. Over in Jerry's apartment, George is lamenting that he this probably is just going to cost him the job. The photo's gone. He's not going to be able to get it replaced. And so he's once again, like, in this position where he's been a few times before where he's sitting on the floor in front of the coffee table and Jerry is on the chair and, and George is pontificating on his next career move. And he says, what about the, the Coast Guard? <laughs> and Jerry's like, you mean for you? He's like, right, what about your seasickness? He's like, I could be a land guy. He's like, uh, he's like, well, I don't know if they have those. He's like, well, somebody's got to unhook the boat from the thing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and Elaine got her heel stuck in the slicer, which she, oh, she needed to borrow some pliers from Jerry. And so she went all the way from her apartment to Jerry's apartment to get them. But Elaine says she met Sarah. So she met Sarah at the a skin cancer screening at Jay Peterman. And like, of course, skin cancer is a thing. Like they're talking about the revenge date and how it went so poorly. And George at that point plots away to get a picture of Kruger without his shirt. Uh, really confusing Elaine in a funny way. Cause he just like, he's like, wait a minute, I, I get it to take a picture. And then I have a picture of Kruger without his shirt on. And Elaine's like, you have a thing for this guy. <laughs> it's a weird thing to say. If you don't know any, it's a weird thing to hear if you don't know any context, but uh, George said that Jerry has to apologize to Sarah and I, I was at this point like, she doesn't know George Costanza. Why can't he just call her office and get this done? Or call any dermatologist in the city that is full of dermatologists, I'm sure. And why does it have to be this one specifically? It, uh, <laughs> it just seemed weird to me. Like, he needed, and why does Jerry have to ask? You know? Uh, but Kramer yeah. offers to come get the slicer, and Elaine ditches him by saying she's got to drop by the circus first with all the clowns uh, freaking <laughs> Kramer out. Uh, so over at Sarah's office, she does agree to do the screening, but she breaks up with Jerry. And she does... Is this where... Does she really touch his face? I don't remember. I thought she, like... Uh, does she, like, pat yeah, him on the well, face? I, oh, okay. I think she, like, patted him on the, like, face or neck or something. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, she's like, but, you know, as far as you and I are concerned, we're it's nothing. And he's like, was it Pimple Popper MD? And she's like, that's the one. Uh, over at Elaine's, Kramer shows up and Elaine beats the shoe out of the slicer with her door and the blade is all dinged up but Kramer is trying to open Elaine's door and ends up pulling the doorknob off and falls through the door across the hall and remarks wow that's a lot of potatoes so we get a little payoff on the uh, the potato joke there <laughs> <laughs> over in Jerry's apartment the slicer is being smoothed at Kruger Industrial Smoothing which is nice and Jerry comes out uh, from the back and he has hives all over uh, like some of his face, mostly like his neck and his chest. And Kramer suspects that Sarah gave him hives that uh, she, you know, somehow uh, when she touched his face or whatever, like on purpose, gave him hives. And he says, like in the Bible says, he who cureth also maketh ill or something like that, <laughs> which I had to look up right then. And it kind of is in the Bible. Oh, God, really? Yeah. Job 518. <laughs> says in depending on which translation you're reading the new international version says 
For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. The new King James, so the King James says, for he maketh sore and bindeth up, he woundeth, and his hands make whole. So here's the new American Standard Version. For he inflicts pain and gives relief, he wounds, but his hands also heal. So Kramer was right. So for all he didn't huh. know about the Cain and Abel story, he literally pulled a Bible verse like out of his ass. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a simplified version of it, but it it's at least in there. Yeah, I, I couldn't find any version that uses the words cureth and maketh ill, but for all intents and purposes, that's Job 518, which is, which is pretty awesome. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and Jerry, confront, Jerry plans to confront her at Kruger Industrial Smoothing. Uh, over at Elaine's, the other knob comes off of her door, and uh, she goes. To, uh, she's going to feed the cat, and the cat starts meowing. So Elaine is now trapped in her apartment with this hungry meowing cat on the other side of the wall. Uh, over at Kruger, George has his camera ready, uh, and Jerry accuses comes storms in and accuses Sarah of making him sick on purpose and giving him hives, and she storms out. And then Kruger comes down the hallway and mistakes Kramer, who is still in his butcher coat, for a doctor. And George convinces him to go through with the ruse. Uh, over at Elaine's, she turns up her music to drown out the sound of the cat. And the Seinfeld actually licensed Slow Ride. Yeah. <laughs> we get a real this song weird. here. <laughs> yeah. This was really weird. I, I would have preferred a uh, like a Jonathan Wolf generic rock song here. But they really <laughs> they, they went for it and just licensed some some music there and she starts her trademark dancing which it was good to see again over uh, back over at kruger kramer is making asinine notes doing kruger's um checkup writing like okay male mammal age 30 <laughs> to 60 <laughs> um and he he notices fiber from shirt on left shoulder i'm gonna keep an eye on that <laughs> uh and he also gets a perfect picture of him shirtless, but he also sees a problem on his shoulder and comes out into the hallway and tells George. And George is like, all right, well, just tell him to get it checked out by another doctor. And Kramer's like, why would I, a Juilliard-trained doctor, which was weird, <laughs> why he picked Juilliard, a well-renowned art school, to be it's to probably, his medical probably just from. the first it's probably just the first college that kramer could think of yeah but also he is acting like a doctor so i thought that was funny it's like an acting school <laughs> and he's a juilliard trained yeah. doctor I, I feel like there was a joke in there too but like why would i send him to another doctor it doesn't make sense and he wants to deli slice a sample off of his shoulder and take Jesus. it to get tested somewhere yeah Back over at Elaine's, she's now listening to another licensed track, Inagata Devita, by uh, Iron Butterfly, or Iron Butterfly, which I've always called them since the famous Simpsons episode. <laughs> um, and the neighbor starts yelling at her for turning the music up, and to make her turn the music off, short circuits the electricity in Elaine's apartment. This, um, this bugged me, because she keeps her very loud music on while she's on the phone right next to the speaker. Like, yeah. she could have easily have walked to the living room because she's having trouble hearing the person. Yeah. You know? And, and I'm like, oh, okay, either turn turn the music off. I mean, yes, you'll hear the cat, but you'll be able to hear the person on the phone. And also when the person in the hallway shorts her circuit, <laughs> the phone goes dead. It's it's a cordless phone. I, I don't think it would do that. Yeah. I, and, and the <laughs> phone the phone the phone's always got their power landlines from the actual landline. So it, uh, um yeah. but then again Cordless phones were a different animal because they did have a plug the, sometimes because you had to charge the, the handset. 
Well, yeah, the the base that you put the yeah. receiver onto charges it up, and then once you pick up the phone and it, it's free of any cords, it's fully charged. It's like unplugging your cell phone from its charger. You know, if the power goes out, your cell phone's not going to die because it's charged up. You have that remaining amount of battery on it until yeah. your power comes back on. But it's also, with a cordless phone, the antenna on the base is what's connecting you to the landline. And so without, mm. so that might lose some kind of power. Maybe. You know, like when okay. the base loses power, I, I honestly don't know what the cordless phone, bring, like the, that variable brings to the equation. But I'm, but because it, it was weird. And I remember like the phones would work when the power went out because they got their power a different way. But yeah, when her, would the antenna still work? Does that need to be powered, an antenna? I don't know. You know? Yeah, Maybe, I don't know either. <laughs> I, I know. Um, I know. Whenever the power would go out at my Graham and Gramps, they would always bring a corded phone down from upstairs that was uh, shaped like a Harley Davidson motorcycle, <laughs> and, and that's the phone they used whenever the power was out. I don't know if it has like a battery backup in it, and the other phones they have didn't, um, or, yeah. or what the what the reasoning was, but. Whenever the power went out, that was the only phone we could use. Yeah, well, that make, that makes sense because, you know, like like I said, the I don't know how the phone company was able to keep power and the electric company wasn't. But I remember several times, you know, the the phones would work because they weren't plugged into an electrical outlet; they were just plugged in to the phone outlet. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that maybe that's why they needed an actual court, like an actual wall phone or whatever, as opposed to a cordless phone. I don't know, because yeah, I mean, when, when I'm thinking about like, well, when you plug your antenna into the TV, is it powered? Does it need to be powered to receive anything, or does it just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about over the air. I don't know how Wi-Fi works, so I don't know why I'd, I'd expect that I know how <laughs> cordless phone radio technology works. <laughs> no, no idea. But it, it, so it might be a little um, uh, production error there again. But yeah, her her phone goes out before she can get the uh, locksmith to uh, come over to her place because she can't give him the address. Back in Jerry's apartment, the picture worked and it's back on the, uh, you know, Kruger's desk and the, he's shirtless and back in it and everything. Jerry still has hives and he's like, you know, I guess I'm going to have to see a dermat, uh, you know, see a dermatologist, but I got to, you know, I got to find a dermatologist. And then Kramer comes barging in and he goes, a real dermatologist. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Kramer has a, a, a textbook, like a medical textbook full of, skin diagnoses and he thinks that Kruger has cancer skin cancer and that's a, a carcinogen mark you know on on his body uh, and Jerry uh, George says he'll convince him to see a real doctor just don't you know Kramer we're, you know we're we're done with you being a doctor um, do you notice kind of here where George is leaving like the door got stuck he had to like he went to pull it like a regular reflex but then it wouldn't come close i think kramer was like his his foot was still in front of it or something it was um an awkward exit no no, i didn't notice that and jerry finds his hives in the book and says hey here's what i have it's a reaction to benzene which is a a common chemical found in metal cleaners and kramer comes out and goes oh that is weird using jerry's bath towel to clean his slicer (laughs) well not not technically his bath towel because yeah. we get the line from Jerry. Hey, that's my hand towel. I use that on my face, neck, and chest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's got this metal cleaner uh, that he's been using <laughs> without Jerry knowing. Back over at Kruger, he's not worried about the mole because 
look at this picture from 10 years ago. The mole looks exactly the same as it did then. So that proves nothing is wrong. <laughs> uh, and he's like, you know, the funny thing about this photo is my sons and I, there was some dumb guy at the beach and we threw all of his stuff in the ocean. He's like, man, what a pear-shaped loser. Uh, and George <laughs> comes clean that he was that pear-shaped loser. And Kruger looks at him and goes, oh, my gosh, you have lost a lot of hair. And George goes, that's what they tell me. Over in Elaine's hallway, we get one last little uh, segment. And Jerry, George, and Kramer are all in the hallway. And they're feeding Elaine using the slicer. George is not fired, though, because that's just how little Kruger cares about really anything. <laughs> and so he's looking forward to working there. And Jerry got aloe for his hives. Um, that was the, the diagnosis. And Elaine drinks a generic cola. It's cola in a Pepsi yeah. can. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it's the same cola brand cola that Kramer was drinking during his break on the right. uh, Merv Griffin show. Yeah, she's drinking that with a straw through the doorknob hole. And that's the end of the episode. But we, we did get another audio stinger at the end. Did you hear it? Yeah, I heard this one. Yeah, slow ride. We get a few more seconds of slow ride. I guess they really wanted to make sure they got their licensing money uh, paid for by that. So, uh, yeah, and that's the end of the episode. You saying a, a few more seconds of slow ride is being very generous. Like, you, you see the Castle Rock logo, and it just goes, slow ride, and then it just hard yeah. cut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <I guess> so. <laughs> slow ride. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think that. there's a fade out. It's it's a, it's a pretty hard, like, it's, it's a jarring cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, all right, so what do we got for homework this week? All I really wrote down is if we can figure out where Dr. Pimple Popper, the show, got their name, whether it was from Seinfeld or whether it's just a huge coincidence. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that. I'm sure we'll hear from someone who owned a phone, a corded or a cordless phone, if it works whenever the power's out or not. You know, I, yeah. I so I don't feel like we'll really have to do homework on that. How did that work? Does my memory, do our memories serve us by remembering what the power was like and whether phones still worked? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, what do you like for cover art this week? Ah, oh, good question. I mean, the the picture kind of, which by the way, that that picture you can see behind the scenes. There are behind the scenes photographs out there of them making that picture because they did have to hire an actress and two actors and get Kruger, and so they did. They did actually make that picture with like a backdrop of the beach, and and those behind the scene photos are out there. But that's kind of uh, you know an, an image that I think fits really well, either with cartoon Kruger or without cartoon Kruger um, <laughs> in it what else what do you think i i think that's that's perfect you know yeah. like i knew this picture was a thing yeah um i have seen this picture but i never knew the context of it so i thought the story was something wildly different oh yeah did you have an idea like did you have a guess i thought it was or, yeah. i i thought it was something like uh an ex of george's who had like moved on and like started a family or something and he saw her at a beach one day and something similar to what happened here he interviews for a job or something with the guy but the guy doesn't know george and george doesn't know the guy until uh the photos revealed that's just me kind of like yeah coming up with a a, a, a fake episode right now you know yeah out of what i thought could have been the plot <laughs> Yeah, because he does, it does look like he's looking at the woman more than maybe anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I, I like that. Um, yeah. Let's see what we can come up with, uh, or let's see what we can do with the description. Okay. So, Kramer gets into meat slicing, semicolon. Jerry dates a doctor, parentheses, Marsha Cross, who oh isn't my impressed God. with his job. How did I semicolon. not catch Marsha Cross? George's new... Right? Um, semicolon, George's new boss is a former adversary. 
We didn't mention her at all in the episode. No. Uh, all right, I'm gonna write her down for next week then, and see what she was doing at this point in her life. Yeah, I thought she yeah, looked kind of she... familiar. Yeah, it, it, I, I think she's one of the Desperate Housewives, right? Yes, that's right. Okay, yeah. is this the second Desperate Housewife that Jerry has dated? Yes, Terry uh, Hatcher being the first by right? my count. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> um. So yeah, if you if you can find out if she like had an acting career, um, yeah, because I don't know if she needs to be like special guest star yet, but I, I don't mind this description yeah i was so blown away what are the what are the last two so uh, uh, kramer gets into meat slicing and jerry dates a doctor perfect what are the um yeah last two uh jerry dates a doctor parenthetical marcia cross who isn't impressed with his job semicolon george's new boss is a former adversary oh, i feel well, like I with just... the length yeah I, I feel like with the length of elaine's scenes it's almost not worth it to like throw her in there because how many scenes was she in that are 10 seconds long yeah yeah and it it did it tied into the meat slicer it tied thing. into the Kramer story. Yeah. yeah, I could I could get rid of the sec everything after Marsha Cross for Jerry's storyline. Like Jerry dates a doctor. I think is okay. Is yeah. that okay with you? I, I mean, does that it it doesn't tease a lot. Just get just get rid of who isn't impressed with his job. Yeah, but but that's yeah, not I think that's like totally fine. She isn't impressed with anybody's job besides hers. So if there's a way to say that, like Jerry dates a doctor who you'd have to say who Jerry dates a doctor who he thinks overestimates her importance or something like that. Um, yeah, I think the best way to do that is just get rid of all of it and just say Jerry dates a doctor. Yeah, what about Jerry dates an arrogant doctor, a seemingly arrogant doctor, something like that? Yeah, that works. A seeming Jerry dates a seemingly arrogant doctor. Yeah, I kind of like that. Yeah, and that. then just keep George the way it is. Yeah, and, and George's boss is a former adversary? George, yeah, George's new boss is a former adversary. I guess that works. I mean, it's it makes it sound like a, a more um, epic relationship than it was. Like, it was a chance meeting 20, 10 yeah. years ago or whatever it was. So, it is it is amazing how much hair George lost in 10 years, you know? <laughs> uh, I will say that when, when I think about that. But, um, yeah, I'm... I'm fine with that. Adversary, I don't like as a as that's what I dislike about it the most. But I, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I think yeah. we did it. All right. Uh, well, next week we have got season nine. Or actually, before we get to that, what did you think of the episode? Um, you know, it was enjoyable, but I didn't give it a star. But it was just finally a nice, good baseline episode of Seinfeld that you know I got a few good chuckles out of, and it was just. Yeah, they, they tied all the stories together pretty well. Everybody's in the apartment at the same time uh, a few times, and I, I always like that. So, yeah, it was just, a, just a, a solid, enjoyable episode, but not above average, really, I'd say. What about you? Yeah, I, uh, I think the same thing. I think I'm going to end up starring it just as like a, a baseline starred episode. Yeah. It, it's not going to be high on my list by any means, but I, I feel like this is... Uh, the bare minimum level of enjoyment I should have out of an episode. Yeah, totally agree with that. <laughs> All right. Um, All right, well, yeah. next week we have got Season 9, Episode 8, The Betrayal. Original air date, November 20th, 1997. And if you're looking in TV Guide that night, you are going to see Elaine takes Jerry and George to India to upset a rival's wedding, period. Kramer is the object of an evil birthday wish. Very interesting because it doesn't give away why this episode was revolutionary at the time. And it's going to be really interesting to hear your thoughts upon starting it. Like, do you know anything about this episode or anything about... I have no idea. Any 
weird yeah so it's it, it, it's gonna be really interesting to see because you'll catch on immediately but anyway i don't want to ruin too much it's just it's just really it's just a, a remarkable and very notable episode in, in the seinfeld universe that they were able to pull this off so that's all i'll say um so is that it <laughs> yeah i think that's it all right for no hugging no learning i'm tim murphy i'm ted hallowell be good be good